Hello, uh, welcome to the Flowerpot Podcast. I'm Bruce Langridge, and today I've got with me James Kettle, who uh, and he's here to talk to me about the horticulture at the National Botanic Garden of Wales. Hi, James. Hi, Bruce. And tell me what your job title is, James. Yes, I'm a horticultural supervisor at the garden. Okay, and you've been working here for about how long? So, come September, I would have been here ten years. Okay. Now you're effectively um, like number two in the horticulture in the garden, is that right? Yeah, so I work with uh, Will, Will Ritchie, who's the curator, and um, I supervise the team, sort of the day-to-day activities really, um, and the horticultural work that happens at the garden, um, directing the staff from you know, the propagation all the way to the planting. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're a fairly sort of sizable team. We're about 21. 20, okay, 21, okay. Because I think for people who don't really, um, what, what we're doing with these podcasts is getting to be, get, let people know a little bit what is a botanic garden. So to get the idea of how many horticulturists it takes to run this place, and it is a very big place as well, it's 568 acres, isn't it? Yeah, so it is a big garden. So we do have to, we do have to manage our um, time and resource quite effectively. Um, sometimes we do sort of big group activities where we can get the job done, you know, all in one. So it makes uh, makes the area look impressive. So like today, for example, we did a um, all staff group horticultural activity down at the gatehouse, pulling the weeds out, doing a bit of weed burning, um, tidying up some of the shrubs and edging the lawn just to make it, you know, the first impressions look really good for the visitor as they enter the garden. Now you've got. I mean, for those people who, who may well know the garden, we've actually got quite a lot of themed areas here, haven't we? And so, uh, apart from the Great Glass House, with all our Mediterranean climate plants in there, we have places like the Boulder Garden, the Japanese Garden, the Arboretum, the Conserving Welsh Plants Display, uh, the Double Wall Garden. Um, how do you kind of arrange your staff to look after all this? So we have um, senior horticulturalists that look after... Um, uh, areas of the garden. So um, we have a senior horticulturalist for the garden, we have a senior horticulturalist for the Broadwalk, we have a senior horticulturalist for the estate. Um, but again, we can't manage all the areas, um, you know, all in one. So we do have to do these, you know, a lot of gardens do emphasise these sort of work activities and that's when we um, manoeuvre staff around and, and that's when you can get, you know, the bulk of the work done. So like um, yesterday we were in the apothecary's garden, another themed area of the of the garden, um, you know, which I think you like, Bruce, very I much. I do. I love it. Yeah. Um, and again, we were planting, so we were planting um, mainly common sort of um, herbs, so thymes, uh, rosemaries, sages. Yeah. Um, but we we're also stock taking, so we we're also looking at what plants we might need to order to replenish the beds, because. Um, like yourself and the listeners will will realise the winter's been a bit uh, a bit wet, so we've lost a yeah. lot of we lost a, quite a quite a few plants. Um, so that's how we arrange our sort of work activities. Really, we sort of look at the area and see what needs to happen with regards to the maintenance. So I mean, we do a lot of path maintenance as well. Yeah. Um, some areas of the garden we've resurfaced recently with with permanent uh, surfaces like tarmac and that's that's gone down really well with the visitors that's not like a slate bed or something around the lakes and things isn't it yeah, yeah. so the so they're around the lakes um just for easier access really to get onto the new restored landscape um so you know 
uh, all disabilities can use that path now to easily get down to the um, down to the landscape. But that's how we that's how we that's how I sort of uh, try to arrange the staff. Usually it's once a week we do a big group activity, but it's nice for all the staff to get back together and you know because sometimes they're out you know the far reaches of the estate or they're right down the bottom of the gatehouse, so they don't you know they don't necessarily talk to each other. Yeah. Know? Although we have our weekly meetings, it's good to get cracking on and get into the ground and uh, you know and sort of uh, carry on really. Yeah, because yeah, I've I've seen you, James. I've known you all this time. You've worked here, and I've uh, uh, seen you in all sorts of different places. And I keep bumping into you, either driving some. I don't know what they're all the all the sort of equipment you've got. You know, you kind of like something to do, some machinery to dig holes or something. You're driving your buggies around, and you get involved yourself in all sorts of different things, don't you? Yeah, so I'm a very. I've always been a very hands-on gardener i think i'll always be a very hands-on gardener um whatever this scenario is really i, I think uh i'll always find the opportunity to uh do more groundwork than paperwork <laughs> yeah but um but i think that's just my nature but i yeah we use a lot of machinery in the garden uh, you know like like any other garden we have our garden you know standard garden machinery um mowers trimmers hedge cutters but then we also you know, because we're a bigger state, we also have the large um, gators that we use to get around. But yeah, we do use a lot of machinery, um, and it is vital for the uh, sort of operational work that we do. Now, on the really sort of um, uh, uh, botanic garden level, um, you mentioned before about some plants have died and you're putting new ones in. Uh, we also could you explain a little bit about the uh, the system we've got about recording all our plants because every plant is kind of recorded, isn't it? Yeah, so plants that come into the garden um, have to be recorded because we're a collection so we have to know where our plants have come from, you know, in regard to like a plant health um, sort of scenario because um, obviously plants, you know, we import plants as well as get plants from the UK. Um, but now uh, most, you know, all botanic gardens have a sort of a part of their remit is to record and what we call um, accession plants. So yeah. that's how we record plants. So each plant is given sort of like a unique number, even if it's grown from seed all the way through its life until it dies, it has that same sort of unique number. But it also means is that you can um, look up the accession number of a plant uh, and then you can pull up all of its history. So if it's been well collected, so like if like Will's, Will Ritchie curator's been over to Vietnam and collected some wild origin material so ex situ material that's come into the into the collection um, that's given a specific number and then we have the information we can tally information onto that number so it's it's provenance where it's come from it's growing conditions you know what altitude it's grown in the wild you know uh, what specific requirements it might like here at the garden any sort of notes that you know general notes that can be added for the propagators to use and then that number stays with it then and then what we usually do is if we are um, auditing we can audit it to make and to inspect it to see what sort of condition it's in and, you know then we can see if it's still living yeah or if it's um, you know if it needs some attention we, we can record that information as well and then you know if it does eventually obviously die we can record it as as removed from the garden but yeah so the database is sort of crucial to our work really um, in 
collections management. Well, since you've been here, James, and certainly as long as I've been here, we've had Dawn Moore putting in all the, mm. uh, been in charge of all that sort of databasing of all the plants. And this is, um, I think, uh, what we really want to tell people about as well is the fact that uh, anyone can actually explore all the stuff that you're saying because we have it on a, um, on our web pages. We have a, a section for plant collections, and if you go on there, uh, you, you click on something called Garden Explorer, and that takes you onto a database of all the different plants that we have here. And I think we've got, I'm, I'm the figure varies obviously we've got about eight thousand different taxa or something in the garden would you say eight thousand different plants uh yes i i would assume it's probably near that number and again yeah i mean garden explorer is 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 pretty much like a, a an iris database like we've got here um so you can look up the plant name and it gives you the location where it is and it gives you a bit of a description as well yeah, I found it, um, and I use it a lot personally. My job is interpretation, so it's about uh, trying to uh, create signs and run events and uh, do trails and all sorts of things. And I really enjoyed it last year. I did um, uh, a walk about the Japanese garden, and um, I wanted to do a walk that was from the Japanese garden, looking at all the different plants around the garden, which uh, came from Japan or were linked in Japan. And that's one of the beauties when you go into some sort of database like this. You get kind of rather absorbed with it all. So I was looking at all plants which had the name Japonica in it, so obviously means the link to Japan, or um, something li linked into Kyotiaris or whatever it might be. I don't know, I've made that up. But, um, <laughs> but I, I love the fact that all these plants, they all have sort of a record of where they're from, and um, they all, they're all kind of interconnected. And as a plant uh, geek like I am, uh, it, you can actually then find out where they are and when they're out and flowering and all sorts, can't you? Yeah, so I mean, it's, um, yeah, so it's an incredibly useful sort of piece of information that you can, that you can get really from, you know, like a lot of, a lot of botanical names, you know, the, the, the um, it's all Latin, isn't it? Everything is in Latin, so, yeah. you know, a lot of Latin um, is the clue, like yeah. pubescence is hairy. So yeah. you know we've got Phylica pubescens in the Great Glasshouse, so it's 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 got it's it's got hairy. hairy also coat. known as fluffy. Also known as fluffy. Yeah, yeah. it's so fluffy. <laughs> it's yeah. very tactile plant. Yeah. But yeah, so it um, it um, Latin is like the universal language for um, well, it's, you know, it's definitely botanical horticulture, um, yeah. because then you know it gives you the indication of of what the plant needs as well in some respects. Do you know, James, I think that would be a really interesting podcast we could do is all about the different Latin names because um, I love them. I love finding out where they all come from. And they've all, got a, they've all got a fascinating story. And once you get to know a little bit about Latin names, I know a lot of people are scared by it, but actually they, they can tell you so much about the plants, can't they? They say pubescent for hairy, nigra for black, or uh, alba for white, or oh, so many different things you can go on. I think we'll come back to that another day. And it's... This is a wonderful thing when you get into horticulture, it starts to take you into a different world of other things as well. We, what we do here, it's not just, um, I always say that we do science with beauty here. Hmm. So we do uh, use a lot of our collections to, um, they're, they're just beautiful things to look at, but if you want to dig a little bit deeper, you can find a really rich story as well. And to help us do that as well, we have all sorts of staff, obviously we have science staff and all sorts of other staff doing other things. But in horticulture, you also, um, you have your 21 like core staff, but you also have apprentices, don't you? And you have students yep. Yep. and volunteers. Can you tell us a little bit about them? 
so yeah, the apprentice, the apprentices. Um, we currently have four apprentices, and um, hopefully we will be gaining another two um, in the near future. But yeah, I mean, uh, we sort of call them homegrown apprentices because you know um, a lot of them come from having you know some knowledge of horticulture, but then when they're sort of absorbed into the world of botanic gardens, they almost become like homegrown botanical apprentices yeah so they can really sort of take that knowledge further if they obviously leave us to follow other pursuits in horticultural hopefully if they continue down the botanic garden line so yeah I mean the apprentices that we have here they you know the schemes have been running a couple you know a few years now um, and you know in the past we've had really good um, success rate with employment so you know the majority of our apprentices are um, on the payroll so they are still with us yeah, know, as, as gardeners so it's been really successful and you know I'm all for apprentices because that's sort of you know I was a student but that was the sort of scheme you know when I was a, a student you know um, studying um, all the many nearly 20 nearly 20 years ago now when I was studying yeah. horticulture that was the the routine uh, for me when I left college but you mentioned volunteers uh, volunteers are also really important here at the garden um, we have um, a really good sort of broad demographic of age ranges that volunteer here. So we have um, some that are um, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So it's a really good sort of mixture of volunteers and we're always sourcing um, and looking out for volunteers. And we have groups like the Men Cup group that come in to help us as well. Yeah. And they're coming back um, within the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, really excited for that, um, for them to come back. And they're really excited as well to come back. And you've also had, a, over the years, you've had loads and loads of different students from all across the UK and the world who've come here to do a year or two years. Is that still going? Uh, so we've had students that, uh, yeah, some have been here um, a year. So that's actually how I started here. Right. I jumped on the bandwagon of, of like the studentship here. But most students actually just come for like a, a summer placement. Obviously, it's been a little bit more difficult over the last year or two um, yeah. but hopefully that will that will pick up again but yeah we always welcome um, we always like to welcome students um, and you know they can historically they have stayed in um, local B&Bs around the site um, you know local to us you know and I yeah. think I think a lot of I think what does inspire a lot of um, sort of students apprentices and whoever you know whoever studying horticulture about us is because most botanic gardens you visit in the UK are actually quite urban they're in urban areas so in the middle of cities usually yeah we're slap bang in the middle of you know Carmarthenshire very rural and I think that's that sort of with you know the great glass house as a centerpiece and I think that's uh, what really attracts them to come and um, you know have a go at studying here yeah and just to uh let people know that we're actually me and James are sat in uh, Kai Trauskoid, which is a a orchid rich hay meadow, which is very close to our stable block here, and we're sat on a bench uh, which is dedicated to uh, uh, Dr. Quentin Kay, who's from Swansea University, is one of the first botanists who helped set up the idea of having a botanic garden in Wales in the 1990s, and um, and and. It shows a special flavour of this botanic garden because most botanic gardens are actually set in cities, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, traditionally they were set in cities because a lot of botanic gardens, um, many of them, when they were first uh, 
sort of you know the thought of bringing back botanical specimens around the world a lot of it was to do with medicinal plants and you know the the idea was to have the botanic gardens within the cities so the universities at the time or the institutions at the time could study on them but obviously here we are yeah um in the middle of the you know the Carmarthenshire countryside so it's um it's it's absolutely stunning weather today and like you were saying the orchids are the orchids are out buttercups are here clovers are flowering bees are everywhere and birds are singing which is absolutely lovely and that uh, because the other thing as well james as a modern botanic garden uh we're here to uh almost prom we're here to promote sustainability and quality of life mm. very different from the original botanic gardens yeah and um uh and another aspect, I think, from horticulture that you do, is that you um, you're peat-free, aren't you? Uh, yep. So we are. Uh, we grow. We grow in peat-free uh, compost. Um, and to be honest with you, we've we've grown in. We've used very little peat. Um, you know, even for years and years and years. And what we did use was for, for very specific things. But you know, the last um, couple of years, we've literally used. Um, no peat whatsoever uh, but you know our mixes are generally based on barks soils grits you know we make our own mixes uh, at the garden to suit the plants um, and you know where they grow in so a lot of plants that come from like the Australian section in the great glasshouse they literally grow in charcoal pumice and and bark right. <laughs> whereas you know perennials obviously grown in the polytunnel need that a little bit more um, uh, sort of substance but again it's mainly a lot of the compost we use here are mainly based on bark we have um, wool compost um, we use uh, compost from uh, bracken we use compost we use a lot of leaf mold here as well in some of our mixes but we, you know so peat yeah um, we've, we've barely used it at all which is really interesting because yeah. you know there was a news story last week about you know peat compost being banned soon. Mm. The government sort of announced that, and so I think it's a really good example that people say, "Well, you can't. You have to use peat to come here, and you don't have to." So I found <coughs> that really interesting. Mm, yeah. And also, you got some. You know, you make your own compost as well, don't you? Yeah. So I mean, we produce probably 250, 300 tons of compost a year, which sounds a lot given the size of our site so uh, it is quite you know it's proportionate to the size of our site and we generate uh, and use pretty much all of the compost on back on the garden um, and then we also you know use like I was saying earlier leaf mold um, we have a, a, a stash that we use to break down usually beech and oak leaves um, they break down and make a really sort of humus rich um, you know really good for any shrubs or trees actually for adding in and then we um, also you know wood chip our own um, wood chip you know we use that back in the garden sometimes if it's not ash because obviously we've, we've had the issues of ash die back here yeah um, but uh, but yeah we use a lot of um, a lot of uh, our own resource put it that way most most stuff we we use we use uh, we recycle and one thing, I mean, I, I, I obviously have a real passion for fungi. Mm. And one thing I really like about your, the mulch that you use, you, you keep, there's a, there's a rare fungus called a wine cap. Mm. And it keeps appearing here. It's hardly recorded anywhere else in the UK. It keeps appearing 
uh, onion mulch, uh, we had loads of it about three or four years ago, then it disappeared. And it's come back again in the last two or three weeks. Didn't know if you know this. It's down in the no, Japanese garden. It's, it's reappeared oh, okay. there. Don't know why. No idea what it's doing here. But I love it. And, and uh, you know, also, I love in the great glass house mm. that we've had as uh, a fungus called a... Uh, Earth star. Earth star, yeah. Mm. Thank you, James. I forgot what it was then. Um, Giastrum. And that's growing all through the uh, great glass house. We've got no idea why it's there. But there must be something you're doing which is allowing it to happen. And I love all that. Yeah, so I think, I mean, it, yeah, the Great Glass House is quite a dry environment, which is surprising that a, a fungus grows in there, especially as it gets really hot in there as well. But I think because there is quite a lot of um, leaf litter about, maybe that, that does help it to, to spread. But the earth stars, they, they do appear in like the Chilean and sometimes the, I've seen them in the Australian section. But we do lose a lot of, um, especially for planting, we do use quite a bit of bark. So I maybe that's got something to do with the spread okay. but they do look fantastic i mean they're like you know almost like little puffballs really aren't they puffballs with little weird arms coming yeah. off like um some hg wells story about invading yeah. species <laughs> anyway i won't go on about that one but also in the great glass house you use um you you bring in <coughs> bugs to eat other bugs don't you yeah so i know a lot of but i know a lot well a lot of gardens institutions um are trying to get away from the use of so much insecticide because of the cost really I mean the cost is pretty phenomenal especially when you look at the size of like our great glass house for example and our backup houses um, it would cost us huge amounts of money to spray and that's not really our ethos as well I mean we do target target spray some stuff but it's usually the sprays we use are usually based on organic uh, compounds right. um, or, or acids so it's not nasty stuff because we are well aware of um, insecticidal use in the world um, and how bad it is on the on the wildlife but then what we do use a lot of are biological controls so basically bugs fighting bugs so it's definitely sounds a bit sort of science fictiony especially if you look at it up close <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you see things with giant mouth spears piercing other <laughs> piercing other bugs and drawing the drawing the gunk out it looks it looks quite gruesome to be honest it does look something like out of HG Wells to be honest but um but yeah and the great thing is, James, is that because you've got a team here who really know your stuff, you know, you can sh hide your modesty. You are really knowledgeable, aren't you? As a whole team, you've all got complementary skills. You, you, uh, you really know how to... Well, tell me a little bit more. How, how come you all know so much? Well, I think, I think the team here are fantastic. Yeah, the, I'm boasting, obviously, but, I, you know, the team is... The team are brilliant. Um probably one of the most knowledgeable team I've, I've ever well I've not worked in many places but you know probably one of the most knowledgeable team I've worked in for a long time and I think yeah. you know because it is such a big site I think everyone does um, you know filter down a little bit and take their time over things yeah. which I expect is how the knowledge base is built up you know we do um, offer training we do offer you know people to go out on days out um, you know, and visit other institutions because that is important. I think you, because you can't just stay in one location all the time. You do have yeah. to go out and, and explore. But, but yeah, the team has a very good broad knowledge of all horticultural aspects. So from propagation um, down to arboricultural work with our, you know, superb estates team, which have got this um, new, I would say, mammoth task of uh, the restored landscape. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because I think everyone's got that, 
you know, really good commitment as well. And I think that, that really shows. And you continue to, um, your gun design uh, sort of uh, creative sides can often get um, used because you do a lot of work outside the garden as well. You did a lot of work for the Abavan uh, Memorial Garden, didn't you? Yeah, so that was that was approached to us. Um, and yeah, Will, Will Ritchie did um, uh, the designs for that. And yeah, I was on site pretty much every day for about three weeks, I think it was. Um, working with the contractors, restoring um, the uh, memorial garden, which is the shape of the school, which got, uh, unfortunately, which got um, demolished with the landslip. Um, and the trustee, you know, the trustees are really grateful for us to um, to do that. Um, but it was a, it was a privilege, because that, that's a real community thing as well. That's, and that's what we do a lot more here at the gardens, is try and, you know, do a lot of outreach work with the local communities. So that was really that was really good, but yeah. yeah, I mean we have done school gardens. I've done you know I've done a couple of school gardens. Um, we've done yeah, I mean we've done multiple charitable you know causes and events. But I mean we obviously we can't do them all the time because uh, yeah. you know the core garden is is our main focus. Um, but you know if there's a if there's a if there's a case that you know is is right and we feel it's a, a good cause, then we 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 always try and help. And you've been to, and I've worked with you on the Royal Welsh Show, on the RHS Cardiff, and that's usually a big thing, isn't it? When you bring everyone together, and you have to get everything right for the weekend, and yeah. that's 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 it's quite. I think it looks really stressful personally to me. But yeah, well, we've also done the Chelsea Flower Show as well. That was that was pretty stressful. Um, that was in two thousand and thirteen or fourteen. I can't remember now. <laughs> but that was that was uh, that was pretty flat out. But yeah, pretty much, you know pre-pandemic pretty much every year we did a, a show or an event at a um, an RHS garden or uh, the Royal Welsh show in Llanalweb uh, which is a little bit of a drive from here but I mean yeah we've done you know but we've also done the little local daily show down in Pontigoffy which is literally down the local village so I mean we've you know um, we've done you know we spread far and wide and we try and get the you know the message out there. Yeah, and talk about the messages, James. I mean, only uh, last week I came in and you were spending the whole day with uh, the BBC doing um, Gardener's World in the Great Glass House. So you personally, over the years, you've kind of, I don't know if it's even in your job description, but you've kind of, you've you've taken loads of tours around, but you've also, you've spoken on radio, you spoke, and now you're speaking on TV. So that is an important part of your job as well, is it, do you think? Uh, Yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't say it's uh, the. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the most uh, favourable part of my job because I'm a bit. Yeah, I'm not particularly uh, camera friendly. Put it that way. You're but. a good talker, Jack. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's good to do. I I just I do it because I, I, uh, you know, I love the garden and I want to yeah. try and you know anything I can do to help the garden, you know, sp- spread the message or or do what I can to interact with the media or like you said the radio to try and spread the word about what we do and talk about you know the horticulture that we do you know I just do it you know this is, most of it's usually off the cuff <laughs> which is the best way yeah which, which is, is what we're doing way. now isn't it yeah yeah well James that's been fantastic mate thank you very much um uh is there anything more you want to add that you think I should ask you about horticulture here oh blimey that's a good question really I mean, I mean, horticulture generally is, you know, the, you know, in the broad sense of a definition, it's the cultivation of edible foods, 
ornamental plants, medicinal plants, um, which we, you know, we do all of that here at the, uh, yeah. at the garden. So I think we cover the, the sort of remit of horticulture and the sort of husbandry of it, you know, the management of plants, growing of plants, watering, feeding of plants, um, you know, the buying of plants, uh, you know, pest and disease control of plants. You know, I think we cover the, the remit of horticulture, you know, design, build, you know, I think the sort of topic of horticulture and how we use it at the garden is pretty much uh, pretty covered in a broad sense, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I, don't <laughs> worry, I do realise it's a massive subject, yeah. and for half an hour we can only talk about certain things. Mm. But I think that's great. James, you've really summed things up really beautifully, and I think it would be really nice in uh, uh, another podcast in the future to maybe talk to another member of your team who's maybe managing some area of the garden as well, to sort of really look at what it's like to be a a day-to-day gardener but you do uh, but one thing I want to clear here what's the right term to use for you guys and gals <laughs> is it horticulturalist or horticulturist horticulturist or gardener horticulturist yeah that's uh, that's the term I've always been brought up with um, so I think it's I think that's the right term to use okay thanks unless James. I'm gonna be corrected on that now <laughs> <laughs> no, you got the final word thanks James okay thanks Cheers, Bruce. Bruce all right